Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, Kubisi, how are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm glad we're getting this conversation. I look forward to this. Yeah, me too. I think the the principal thing, the thing I usually do right off the bat is just get a sense of what you do. And you're a character and a creature artist at MPC. What does that mean? Yeah, so currently I'm working at MPC Advertising, not film. And before that, I was working at Frame Store Film. So the reason that I moved to advertising is that I get to be a character and creature artist. So in film, you have to uh, specialize in one thing. So for example, I was a modeler. So this means I only model, but now I am an artist, not just a modeler. So Uh this means that I I can take a creature from concept to sculpting and then to modeling, to texturing, sometimes grooming and shading a little bit. So I get to do the whole thing. And I can also specialize in uh, character and creature. While in film, it's very difficult to do only that. You have to do some environments, some props. What kind of characters, what kind of creatures are there in ads? Everything. Like, for example, my first project with NPC advertising was the uh, young Elton John. Ah. And this one right. won a VAS award for. Okay. That so uh, this is, for example, something that I would do for a character. Some other thing is a project that we are doing that I get to do like a dragon for. Sometimes I would be doing a, an animal, uh-huh. like a giraffe. So yeah, it's like, it, that's the cool thing about advertising. And I've been working there only for, um, I think, five months so far. Mm-hmm. And in these five months, I got to do three creatures and two characters, which mm. is very cool. So when I was working in film, I get to do only one character. Like I was working on uh, Christopher Robin, Winnie the Pooh. Mm-hmm. It's, which is also uh, nominated for the Oscar this year and for PFX. Yeah, and congrats. on this one, I was making, I worked on like two or three characters, but yeah. the main one was Eeyore, the donkey. Uh, and I kept working on this one for like six months or seven months. So that's a cool thing also about advertising is that you get to work on several creatures and you can finish them like really quickly and move on to uh, new projects. You never feel bored. Okay. So Eeyore, and you were just doing the modeling on Eeyore? When I was working in film, I was doing yeah. the modeling because they were not like creatures. They were more like yeah. uh, like plushies or stuffies. Uh-huh. So I had to do like like a cloth simulation mesh. Nice. Okay. And of course, you have to do like all the face shapes, which is not easy when you're making it for a doll. <laughs> yeah. And it's animal based also, not a human. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. And so now it's all ramped up, but you do a lot more than just that. You've got Patreon, you do a ton of tutorials, you're giving back yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. So that's the thing that I uh, I try to always on the side to uh, work on personal work. So uh-huh. even on my art station, it's all personal work aside from the Elton John. I also do Patreon because people kept asking me to make tutorials and stuff like that. And I decided to make this Patreon page. And in the same time, I get to like give back to the community. That's why I made it like very cheap. 
Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I'm like showing the people how I work and I'm doing my personal work. So it was fun. Yeah, I'm actually, I joined that and I was yeah. like very, you know, it's, it's, I was like, yeah, I, I was really surprised when I saw like someone <laughs> really good like you joining the Patreon page. You know, and the, the thing is, is things change in this industry so fast. Because I know in there you talk a, a lot about X-Gen and X-Gen, you know, with the interactive grooming that just changed, you know, not too terribly yeah. long ago. You know, and you always got to stay on top of things. So how important is it? Is it a big part of your workflow, your life that you're kind of always on top of this stuff? Because you've been doing this for a bit too, yeah? Or how long have you been doing this? Why don't we start? Not really long. Mm-hmm. So I started making 3D the beginning of 2015 mm-hmm. when I started to like take it seriously. And yeah, uh, I started just sculpting, doing digital sculpts. And then I joined one of the uh, companies that makes uh, collectibles statues. Yeah. And I worked for like one year. And then after that, I moved into film. And then from film to advertising. So I've been doing this for three years. But back to the point that you raised, it's of course, it's very important, especially, for example, if you work in games or if you work in advertising, it's very, very important because you're not only sculpting or you're not only making models. While in film, it is okay to be doing one thing. But if you want to work in games or you want to work in advertising, you have to know everything happening around you. And you have to uh, catch up with all the new technologies, new softwares, new techniques, all of that. What are the uh, software that you use now? At work or uh, personally? Why don't we start with that work? Because that's going to be the yeah. one that, like, where the rubber hits the road in terms of finances. Yeah. So at work, I don't get to play around with uh, with the shading or the look, def, uh, the look def part a lot. Yeah. So what I do is mainly modeling, sculpting, texturing, sometimes a little bit of grooming. So I use Maya, of course. I use ZBrush. I use XGen. I learned how to use the in-house software for grooming and MPC. Fertility is called Fertility, but I still didn't do like actual projects with it. I also use everything else like Rap or uh, Marvel's Designer, all of these complementary softwares. I also know how to use Arnold, but I don't get to use it because it's part of the log dev. And I don't do a lot of log. Dev. I barely do any log dev uh, mm-hmm. in my current job. So yeah, that's at work. But at home, of course, I get to do stuff with Arnold. So uh, you can add Arnold to that. Got it. Yeah, I've just been getting into Arnold myself now. Chris, I think, was a big inspiration for a lot of us to get our butts yeah. in there after some of the stuff you did recently. So talk to me about that transition from digital sculptor into film because this is i think one of the things that's really interesting just from a career perspective you came in you came from digital sculpting you got a job in collectibles ideally they were just a, they just loved your your sculpting your anatomy your, your sense of form is this one of the first or is this one of the pieces you built or this one was uh done for uh something we used to do at trip store it's called month crunch and i actually did that in like three days it's not a whole month but yeah that was like a fast sketch yeah, but uh, when I was working in collectibles, I was doing statues on the Breaking Bad line. And if you go to the uh, the colored uh, version of Mike, it has like a progress. Oh, this one right here. Yeah, this shows you when I did it back in 2015. Yeah, and the one that I made in 2015, that's the one that got me the job in Germany in this uh-huh. collectible uh, company. And they were uh, going to make statues for the Breaking Bad series. And then they saw this and they contacted me. And I started working with them freelance first. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, 
what about if you join us full time? And I joined them there and I started like doing a lot of uh, breaking, but I almost did like all the, uh, the main actors and actresses on the show. So that's how I was doing. But yeah, back again to the point of transitioning, it was scary <laughs> because I came from a background of like a very artistic and not technical at all. Right. So I was just sculpting in ZBrush and that's how I started learning 3D because it was fun to just sculpt. Right. So in film, especially in film, like for example, if I went from digital sculpting to advertising, it would have been easier. But going to film in film, you have to be like really good at technical things and your mesh has to always be clean with working topology and perfect UVs. Otherwise, you will not even be able to like publish or release your work to the pipeline. So it was a little bit difficult for me to get to learn and to know like all the technical stuff. And the people at Framestore were like really understanding and they helped me until I understood everything about the pipeline and everything technical. And then I started to be good in both like technical stuff and making a model that's production friendly and at the same time be able to sculpt and be a good artist. All right. So the primary thing that they enjoyed, they saw the sculpting, they saw the power of your anatomy and form, and they realized they could kind of train you into the position. Yeah, yeah. You can you can say that. I think they saw like, sometimes when people look at your portfolio, they uh-huh. can see potential. And it's always difficult to get the talent while it's easier to learn the technical stuff. So sometimes when they see the talent, and they know that they can teach you the technical stuff, they can still give you the job. And I think that's what happened with me. Yeah. So what do you think is like the, what were they seeing? Because if I'm looking at this and and I think about a lot of people out there, a lot of people are trying, a lot of people are sculpting and digital sculpting is like, that's, you know, that's the number one, that's kind of the world I came from, but that's also kind of, that's the gateway drug. And we all get in and we love it and whatnot, but it's not necessarily a conduit to a career because, you know, there can be problems and there's a lot of competition and, you know, exactly. and, and you must go to the next step, which means, you know, leveling up your software sophistication and, and things like yeah. that. Or at least, you know, you can, like, let's say Raul does a great job in miniatures. Bob, who's teaching a class on miniatures, he, you know, it's all just ZBrush and says, you know, and, is it uh, Mike Thomas does illustration and is primarily ZBrush and Photoshop? So that, I'm not saying that it's impossible. I'm just saying it's it's hard, you know. And if you want to yeah. work in your job, you got to get out of the ZBrush world, right? Exactly. So the way I look at it is that the thing that is fun to do, everybody wants to do, and then the yes. competition is crazy. For example, if you want to be a character artist, that's what everybody, almost everybody now, wants to do. If you want mm-hmm. to be a concept artist, that's even more difficult. So I used to be doing to the digital painting and concept art. And then when I noticed that the competition is crazy and you have to be like really good and it's going to take me at least five more years to be like really good and, and compete, then I decided to do something else that's still going to be fun for me, which is sculpting characters. Right. So that's how I look at it. When it's something that's fun and people want to do, then of course everybody's going to be interested and then there's going to be competition. And then you have to up your game. You have to do something extra. So some people would do like the technical part of things, like when you know log dev, when you know grooming, that's going to put you in a better position when it comes mm-hmm. to uh, hiring you. Other people, like what I did is that I wasn't that good in the technical side. So what I did is that I went to something, again, that's a little bit difficult, which is like making faces and likenesses, mm-hmm. which is not that easy. And 
like the amount of people doing that, not that much. So it will still get you recognized. And yeah, thankfully my plan worked. So yeah, when you do like likeness stuff, like portraits, people like to look at that. People uh, get attracted to that. So your portfolio will be noticed. If you are able to do faces, which is, I think, in my opinion, the things that we are seeing faces every day in our day life. So that's the thing that people can see, even if they are not working in the industry, if it's if it's working or not. So it's one of the most difficult subjects. So if you can do portraits, this will give the impression that you can do other things. So uh, if you understand like anatomy of faces and having like good proportions in your face, you can even like get likeness and all of that, then it will show the person trying to hire you that it will be easy to make animals, for example. It will be easy to make creatures. It will be, of course, easier to make environment or props. So I think, yeah, that's how I look at it, is that I try to get good at one of the most difficult subjects. And that was like the extra step that I wanted to go to. What do you think makes a successful face? Hmm. I think um, just looking at the, the amount of people that post stuff on art station these days, there is like everybody's interested in making likeness. Yeah. So I think making a likeness is one of the things that get at, uh, attention. But the thing that makes or breaks a good portrait or a good face, I think, is the eyes. And I've seen a lot of people who make like amazing skin shader and sometimes amazing grooming, but the eyes are really look not natural at all. Mm-hmm. And then the piece looks weird. And I think even like the the uncanny valley, you can notice the uncanny valley just by looking at the eyes. Right. So yeah, that's one of the most difficult things. Okay. So if we're looking at the eyes, what do you think are some of the important things that really sell an eye? Because, you know, there's the... Um, there's the texturing in the iris. There's, you know, getting the refraction right. There's the wet yeah. line. You know, there's the carunculate. There's all these different elements. Like, what is it that you think is really essential for nailing that? Yeah, for example, one of the things that I see a lot is, like, weird colors for irises. Mm-hmm. Because irises, they have, like, four, I think, four or five maximum colors for iris. And if you go for a different color than these colors, then it's going to start look like an alien or a doll. So uh, some people, they go crazy with the coloring when it, uh, of the irises, and then it yeah. starts with like, like pure blue, and they think that that's how you make uh, blue eyes. While blue eyes is basically what you're looking at now, like Mike's eyes, mm-hmm. it is not that blue, you know? It's not like, like saturated blue. Right. So that's one of the things. The other thing is like the crankula, the crankula part, which is like the corner, the tear duct. A lot of people, they uh, make it like very plastic looking and they do also that w- with the wet line or uh, yeah, the meniscus, which is the wet line between the lid and the eyes. Mm-hmm. So some people just make it uh, like a perfect tube. So this kind of stuff, like the subtlety in doing this stuff, like the outline of the iris itself, some people make it just like a perfect line, like like you can draw a circle around that. So yeah, this kind of subtlety, is what makes eyes look a little bit weird. Got it. So add irregularity is kind of one of the key things to all of those ingredients. Yeah, irregularity and and try to make it look natural in terms of color, of course, and in terms of shapes. Yeah, and you use colors. Okay, and you use XGen for your hair mostly, right? Yes. No fiber mesh. I don't use fiber mesh like like crazy. I just use it like in a very basic manner. So 
it doesn't look like really real real hair because I think it's very difficult to do that with fiber mesh, first of all. And then second of all, it's like something that you're going to do just for just to make an image, you know, you mm-hmm. will not use it later. Even if you're going to use ex- uh, fiber mesh as curves, you don't need it to be that sophisticated to export curves and then use it in an actual grooming software. So that's why I didn't bother that much with learning fiber mesh, but I started learning uh, XGen. And now I'm learning XGen. It was very easy for me to learn fertility at work, the uh, in-house software. And that's because I learned XGen. I learned an actual grooming software. So for me, that matters more. And that's why I use XGen more than fiber mesh. Okay, it's the the whole process correlates with your your in house uh, software. Yeah, yeah, because you you always have to uh, look at the like the end product. What am I gonna do with that afterwards? Mm-hmm. So if I'm gonna learn fiber mesh, what I'm gonna do with fiber mesh after that? But if I'm gonna learn Xgen or Yeti or any uh, like actual grooming software, I know that mm-hmm. I will be using this in in uh, production. So that's why I saved that time to learn Xgen. Got it. Now, one of the things that's kind of been on my mind a lot in terms of likeness is, in your opinion, when you're doing a a likeness, is it imperative to get the anatomy 100% right and the form 100% right? Or what is it that really sells it and makes that likeness kind of fit? I think it's uh, it's both ways. You have to uh, get it right first, and then you have to break it later. So... uh, Funny thing is that once you start making uh, likenesses, this means that you're going to have to look at actual people and like see them from different angles and see how the face reacts in different situations. Mm-hmm. So you will start to notice that in reality, anatomy is not that perfect. So for example, when I was working on Mike, if you go to the lower images, the, uh, the uh, ZBrush images, you will see one image from the side view and look at the back of his head. Mm-hmm. So if I do a portrait, with the uh, with the skull looking like this, that's anatomically not correct at all. But this is actually happening in a, in a real human that we see every day. Yeah. So you have to start first with like that's how I do it. Like I I like to imagine a skull underneath, and I sculpt on that. And then after I like get the structure right, everything looks natural. Then I start pursuing the likeness and how to break this perfect anatomy thing to make it look natural and imperfect okay so, and i i saw that in your um in your patreon where it's, you created a generic structure it's pretty much the standard protocol we create a generic structure and then you go in and kind of work on the likeness once you've got a cheekbone exactly. you've got the nose plane and all of that because you're right like the back of this head's wrong you know yeah <laughs> from yeah. like a classical canon perspective but i mean what yeah. and then not only that but i mean it's like it's not very deep like it's it's not fitting the traditional canon of one a head is one head tall and one head deep. Exactly, exactly. You know, it's not, and it actually looks like the back of Ofer's head. Yeah, you know, yeah. He has, and what I, yeah. what I discovered later is that that's something that happens to to people who when when they are babies and their skulls still like uh, tender and not and not hard enough, mm-hmm. they keep them like on hard surfaces, and then the the skull takes this shape. So yep. that's why his skull looks like this, looks really flat like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's something weird, but it's it's in in real happens in real life. So yeah, you so, know, yeah, I that's was why talking, anatomy is not always perfect. I was talking to Adam Bean about this when I started getting into likeness about six months ago or so, yeah. and um, Adam was he was um, talking about how he tries to he doesn't know 
that much anatomy. The way he phrased it was, is he doesn't know that much anatomy and he treats everything as a beginner's mind. And that's, that's his big strength. Whereas he was looking upon me with some element of pity in which I know too much anatomy <laughs> and gets in the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and that's kind of this weird dichotomy we are we're in when we deal with the likeness. But then again, if I look at some of these areas, like let's say this area right in here, you know, yeah. right along the infraorbital margin as you're coming into the zygomatic, you know, you have some really kind of clear form. Like there's this little line right here. I like to always tell my students, it's like this: the the zygomatic comes out, and then so we're looking right here at this area. The zygomatic yeah. comes out and it has this nice little plane where the the lateral souf, you know, and, and you can yeah. know all these words, you know, number one, do you think it's essential for you to know these words? What, at what level do you study anatomy and how is it important for the final product for you? Yeah, this is the funny thing is that every year I study anatomy like seriously and I mm -hmm. start like learning and memorizing all the Latin words. And yeah. then I discovered that two months later, I forgot all of them, but yeah. I still remember like the shapes. Yes. So uh, I, I stopped trying to memorize the names. So uh, I just know like the forms and how the muscles should look like, how the bones and the bony structure and like trying to uh, remember and memorize the landmarks mm -hmm. and the proportions, of course, which is mm -hmm. the most important thing in my, in my opinion. But I stopped paying too much attention to the names. It's just too much and you have to keep memorizing them. So I think like the people who are, who I consider them like, artists and anatomists and at, at the same time like you or Scott Eaton mm -hmm. for you because it's like part of your job I think or part of your uh, your character as a as an artist is that you're an anatomist mm -hmm. uh, and you keep teaching people that so that's why it's very essential and you also you always get the chance to keep memorizing the names so that's why it's very important for you but I don't know like for me and I've seen a lot of artists also who who are really good at anatomy and they don't memorize the names that much. Yeah. So I stopped. I just gave up. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. But then the question that I always have is how do you memorize or how do you learn a form? And so I always tell yeah. people, you know, you have to learn the word just because the brain stores things via language first. Yeah. But then by all means, forget it and just remember the shape, you know? Yeah. For me, it's just like repeating, repeat, 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 and then you get to understand that that's how it should look like. And if it doesn't look like this, it will start to look weird. So I've done a lot of faces and figures that I started to like memorize how they should look like. And that way, for example, I have like a feedback tier and a mentorship on mm -hmm. my Patreon page. Yeah. And when people show me their work for feedback, I can notice like from first glance, if there's something off with it. And that's because I memorized how it should look right. So yeah, for me, it's more like visually. Got it. Okay. And then when you worked on this project, the uh, Elton John, was there scan data that you were working with? Are you pulling this from reference? No, no we didn't because we were making, so Elton John now is like, what, 60 or more, more than 60 years old. Uh -huh. uh, and we wanted to make a younger Elton. And even like the images that we had, it was uh, like really old and grainy and noisy. So right. we didn't even like have a good photo reference to start from. He always wears uh, huge sunglasses mm. and he always wears like hats and his hair is like big. So it was also difficult to even get the likeness just from the photos. So yeah, that, that was difficult to get. <laughs> How long did you have to sculpt him? 
we did the whole project in less than two months. So everything like sculpting, texturing, log dev, grooming, animation, face shapes, all of that, and even like composting and, and coloring, all of wow. that was done in less than, uh, than two months. So I think I sculpted him in like one week or less. And then I made the uh, texturing, a little bit of grooming and like detailing him in another week. And then a third week to get the face shapes that we're going to need in the animation. How many? So yeah, something like three weeks for me. Looks like a lot of face shapes. Yeah, yeah. That's because I think it's it's more like a combinations. Mm, Got it. All right. And then with the texturing, are you doing texturing XYZ or? Yeah, I always, when I use the XYZ, I always start with my primary sculpting. Uh And then uh, I add the details that I can add by hand. And then after that, I move into texturing XYZ for fine tuning and for uh, extra details. But lately, with the new packages that they have, it's it's really good. So I think I just like just cop the primary forms and then I use it automatically afterwards. Oh, and what do you mean by primary form? You know, this is a dilemma that I've got in terms of how we express. So for you, what is a primary form? So for me, I the way I look at primary, secondary, and tertiary is that primary for me is basically like the eyes, uh, the eye bags the nose, nostrils, philtrum, lips, all of these like main features yeah. and like main bones and landmarks. That's for me the primary forms. Secondary is when you start adding like wrinkles, but like big wrinkles, like the nasolabial furrows, for example. Right. That's for me secondary. If he has like a mole on his cheek or something like that, that's secondary. Tertiary is when you start adding skin details and pores. And then of course, micro is what you can see, but you have to add in order to get like nice specular and nice skin shading. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you do that in the render, right? Or in the... Yes, in- for the micro, the I think the best way to get a micro details is to use existing alpha scans like texturing XYZ or stuff like that. And for the micro, of course, it's, uh, it's very generic. So you can... So for me, the most important when I'm making a likeness is to get the primary, secondary, and a little bit of tertiary that's what you need to do and sculpt by hand. Yeah. But then everything else, it's always easier and more generic to just get it from an existing texture. Yeah. What got you into all of this? What got you started going down this road? <laughs> so yeah, I've been I've been drawing my whole life since I was like really young. Yeah. And when I started noticing, I used to like love comics and animation and all of that. And when I noticed that there is something called digital painting and you can just paint on computer, I just bought a a tablet pen and I started painting digitally. And like I told you, I painted digitally from 2010 until 2015. And then I saw like the huge competition in the concept art world. And there's a, a lot of like really, really good artists. So I was being a little bit pragmatic and I was like, I would still do something that I like to do because I used to. Uh, make a lot of character design and uh, and character illustration. So yeah. that's why I moved to sculpting characters instead of drawing them. And that gave me a much bigger opportunity. So most of the companies nowadays, they don't even hire concept artists. They depend on uh, outsourcing for that. Mm-hmm. While you still have to have modelers in-house. It's the same thing also for animation. So sometimes you have to be pragmatic and you have to like... Think about it this way. Think in numbers, like how many animators should be in a company. 
how many riggers, how many molders. And then you can still do something that you love to do, but in the same time, you will be able to find a job later. So yeah, that's why I changed from painting and drawing into sculpting. And it was funny in the beginning because I remember in the first three months, I was already sculpting in ZBrush and having like uh, something that looks a little bit nice and people liking it on groups and stuff like that. And they were always like amazed about how can you do that in three months or something like that. But that's because that wasn't done in three months. It was done in more than 10 years. I've been drawing portraits my whole life. The only thing that changed is the medium. So yeah. yeah. So even when I say that I started doing 3D in 2015, I've been sculpting traditionally and I've been drawing and painting my whole life. So I don't think that I started in 2015. You know, that's how I look at it. Did you do training, go to anywhere specific, any traditional schools, art schools? Yeah, I did the traditional. I went to uh, an art college uh, back home in Cairo, in Egypt. Yeah. And I studied there uh, like a bachelor degree, five years bachelor degree. And I did a lot of like drawing, uh, a lot of painting, a lot of traditional sculpting, even pottery. And uh, after that, also, when I started like learning 3D, I studied at an... Uh, an online 3D school. And the only reason that I did that is, of course, it's it's a good thing, of course, to like join a school. But the only reason that I did that was to feel like I paid for something and I have a deadline to assign homework. And that was a mm-hmm. good strategy for me to start building my portfolio. And I even remember right. that it was like very expensive for someone like me from Egypt. And I was like paying in US dollars. So it was very expensive for me. So I had to like really work hard to, f- to not feel guilty about the money that I spent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and that was also, yeah, one of the, uh, the good things that I did and it helped me. And that's actually also, yeah, uh, one of the reasons that I'm, uh, that I'm doing the Patreon page is also like to try to show people what I do. It's basically, again, like an online school. You've got uh, quite a following too. We're looking at 11,000 followers, something like that. How long have you been building this? And what are some of the the things that you've done to kind of build this following? Yeah, that's also another very weird thing. Because Mm -hmm. I think nine months ago, I didn't even have 1,000 followers. Mm -hmm. All of that happened when I started to change my mentality a little bit. Because back in like almost a year ago or even less, I was always trying to pursue a job and trying to pursue a place that would allow me to like hire me and then like make a visa for me and all of that. And then I started like changing my mentality. What about if I work hard on myself, start to like be everywhere online, post my work everywhere, get recognition. And then instead of me like trying to run after the visa and the the people offering me jobs or I'm like looking for a job, it will start be more like, people offering me jobs and people offering to make a visa for me. And that was last year in the beginning of April. And I started by uh, remaking Mike, the one that was done in ZBrush, from the version that I have done in 2015. And then I made this new version. And I also started an Instagram uh, page. And yeah, it's been uh, going from there. So yeah, after that, I started to work continuously sharing groups, share on my art station, share on my Instagram. And after that, it became very easy. I started to like get a lot of followers. And it was always feels amazing when you work hard and then you see the feedback and you see like people recognizing your work and people saying good things about your work and like giving you likes or stuff like that. So yeah, it, it started from there. And then I started to at least have an artwork every month. 
And I rebuilt my whole portfolio, what you're seeing in front of you. All of that was done in less than seven months. Less than seven months. Wow. Yeah. So I think it started with, with Mike in April. And the last piece, it was Walter, which I did in December last year. That's amazing. And I love that the idea was changing the mentality. Instead of hunting down, you're going out there and you're just going to showcase what you do. Yeah. You know? This changed my life. I was in a tough spot. I was on a contract and my contract was about to end. And I was thinking about and asking my company, are you going to extend for me or what? And I've been like in this really difficult situation. Am I going to go back again to zero and start like finding a job? Or am I going to like go back home? And then I was like, why am I doing this? What if I work really hard, build a nice portfolio, be available, show the people that I can do what I love to do, and then people would be offering me jobs. And it worked. So now instead of me sending to recruiters and sending to companies, it is the opposite now. Companies are sending me offers, which is amazing, of course. And it's also, again, another thing that motivates you and keeps you going. Did that company hire you or in keep you moving or did you accept a new offer? No. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy where I am at the moment. So that's why I'm, uh, I'm not accepting the offers, but who knows, maybe in the future. Tell me about that. Because, um, for example, right now, Blizzard just laid off uh, a bunch of people. Some of them art, some of them IT and, and things like that. But that kind of stuff scares, could be scary, right? You know, because here's this big yeah. company, Blizzard Activision. Yeah. And I think, I think it was like 800 jobs or maybe it was, uh, it, anyways, it was, it's a lot. You know, what's the market like in advertising or film or for you? Or do you worry about that now? I think now I'm not worrying as I was worrying before because <laughs> now I have, like I told you, the people who gives me offers, most of the offers that I get, they are like open offers. Like people are telling me, if you just want to join us, tell us, which making me a little bit safe. And again, it's because I am putting the work. I'm like working, I'm not working 40 hours a week. I keep working every day on my personal stuff. I keep working on my Patreon. I, I teach. So uh, just doing this stuff is giving me this uh, this offers and opportunities. That's mm -hmm. one thing. The other thing is that where I am now is in advertising. So if you are working advertising, it's more stable than film. I think also games are stable because you are working on a huge project, unless if it's, if it's something that's like what happened with Blizzard or something like that. But I, most of the companies that I know, especially the big ones, they are more stable. So you would be working on a game for like, what, three years, two years. So mm -hmm. at least you're safe for three years. But in advertising, it's it's really cool. It is more stable. There will always be advertising. In film, it's the less stable industry ever I've seen in my life. Because I've seen people getting uh, like one month's contracts, which is wow. ridiculous. And you, you only see in film. And in film, the industry in film is always keeps moving wherever there is tax breaks. So for example, now the industry is moving to Montreal. So after it was in Vancouver, for example, like the last couple of years, now it's more like moving to Montreal. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it is, it is just not stable at all. So what does your day look like then? Because that's producing this much work in seven months, redoing your portfolio. I know and I totally understand the concept that it's not really seven months. It's also, you know. 15, 12, 10 years, how, you know, it's all the time that you've been doing this, that it all comes together. But what's your, what does your day look like? What's the schedule look like for you? So, of course, I start by uh, my full-time work. 
mm-hmm. which is uh, like between eight in the morning to like seven, eight in the evening, you know, yeah. like uh, adding the time when you wake up, when you like have breakfast, when you go to work and then like going back again and commuting and all of that. So it's like 12 hours just for your full-time job. And then, of course, when I go back, I have to spend some time with uh, with my wife. We have dinner, we watch some TV, do something. And then, of course, after that, I start taking care of my personal work or Patreon. And that's a good thing that I am doing now is that for me, it's the same. So I'm like doing my personal work. And at the same time, I'm recording this and showing people how I do it. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like a win-win situation because yeah. when I used to do freelance work, then I was just doing something for a client. And it's basically like doing full-time work again after going home. So it wasn't that much fun for me. Mm-hmm. And you never know if if this uh, work is going to be released or not, if they, if you will be able to to share it or say that you worked on it, if you will even like uh, get paid for it or not. So it wasn't stable. So that's why I uh, decided to to do this instead. So now I'm I'm making money from my Patreon page while at the same time I'm doing my personal work and right. at the same time again I feel like I'm I'm giving back to the community. I think it's a, it's like a win-win situation for me. So yeah, I just after that I start working on my personal work or doing recording something for Patreon and then of course that's the uh the thing that you got to sacrifice is you have to sleep less than 8 hours. So yeah, for me that's uh, that's the problem, and I also try to like put in like once at least or twice a week. I would go to the gym and you know like work out a little bit, so mm-hmm. that I am not neglecting my health. So uh, yeah, that's basically my day more or less. Do you have any other habits or routines that you have, like reading or something you do in the morning that gets things moving? Not really, not uh, not now. It's very difficult with the situation I'm in to have extra time for that. Even if I'm reading, I would just like read in in my commute. So I would have like a like an ebook on on my phone, and then I I would be reading from that. Got it. Get up and go. Yeah. <laughs> now, if we get back to your social media, the um, or not social media, but really your following, I guess it's because it's a little different nowadays. But um, how do we go about getting ourselves? noticed today because there's so many different places and you said you just changed your mindset you started producing your work and then you just started posting everywhere was there particular places that you posted like polycount or places like that yeah so first of all for me it's not as much important as posting as it is choosing the subjects so for example some of the people in my mentorship they would be making characters that doesn't look like a character that you would be interested in seeing or like a hero character that would be the main character in a game or in a film. Right. That's because the subject is not interesting. You are making a character that can be like an unplayable character in a game or like a crowd character in a film. Mm-hmm. So for me, the number one rule is making something interesting. So when you make something interesting, people will start appreciating that. They will start sharing that. And uh, it will be like if you're, for example, posting on ArtStation, it will be in the trending. And then if the uh, the ArtStation people like your work, they will post it in the in the pics. And then it will be there and people will start recognizing you. If they see you there two times, three times, four times, they will start to follow you because they know that they keep producing something that looks cool. Mm-hmm. So for me, number one is getting something or choosing a subject that's interesting. 
And then afterwards, right after that, is to try to show it to people everywhere. So what I do is that I post on uh, ArtStation, I post on uh, Instagram, I post on Facebook, and on Facebook, I post on a lot of groups. I post on uh, Zebra Central. So yeah, like try to post it everywhere as much as possible. But before posting, you have to have something that looks interesting. And again, like I told you, like, um, sorry, the faces, the likeness, the portrait, that's one of the things that we are drawn to as humans. We always appreciate that and we like that. So that's why I do a lot of portraits. But in my real job, I don't do as much portraits. I do a lot of characters, creatures, sometimes environment stuff and sometimes props. But when I do personal work, I'm trying to choose some uh, interesting subjects. Do you post links back to your art station or do you you just post the image straight up? Yeah, so I uh, always try to uh, share links to my art station and my my Instagram page. So Mm -hmm. wherever I am posting my work, I would be posting links to my uh, art station and Instagram. Okay. And so you were able to grow that to about 15,000 followers and that opens up new avenues for you when you do that. Yeah, sure. Um, How long did it take to get you up to 15? I started in April. So my first post, I think it was the very like last day in March. So yeah, I think in, in April last year. How regular are you on this? Not that much because what I'm doing, it requires some time to finish. Mm-hmm. So I try to sometimes post like work in progress. Yeah. And then this way I would get, because in Instagram, it's always about the uh, how regular you are posting and how many posts you're making a week, there is people who post every day. And that's uh, one of the ways to get followers. The other way is to, again, make something that's really interesting, that you can get a lot of followers, even if you're not posting as much. Is there a particular thing that you've seen that kind of really resonates? Do you ever track like what people connect with? I think it's, yeah, people these days, they like to see likeness and portray stuff. Mm-hmm. They like to see characters. But is there- yeah, sorry. Is there like a particular framing, for example, uh, an image like this, right? And we got 1800. And there's a reason why I'm asking this actually for everybody in general, including my uh, boot campers. But is there, do you like track this to see what's really moving the needle or no? Yeah, I try to see like if I make, if I make something that I find like a lot of feedback coming from and a lot of likes and people are not seeing this. Yeah. Then of course, for me, this takes that it is something that people are interested in. And then I use it as a as something that's indicating to me that's something that I should be doing more often, you know? So, for example, people like to see progress stuff like what you were just showing. There is even, like, I think, like, the one of the posts on my Instagram that got the most likes, I think it was this post in the 2015, 2018. Mm. Yeah. I think this one, yeah, I got most, most of the likes is on this one. Mm. And... People like to see that because it shows them that it's possible. You can do something like that. You can, in three years, there's even people who do this kind of progress in one year or even less. So it's always motivating. motivating. It shows people that you can do that. So people like this kind of posts. Of course, the likeness stuff, portraits, and sometimes technical stuff. Like if you have like really nice log dev, really nice grooming and really nice lighting, People would be also interested in that. Sometimes characters that are based on uh, superheroes or anime. So yeah, there is a lot of things that you can do that can get recognition on uh, on Instagram when it comes to art. How important is your Instagram to your career? 
I think it's not just Instagram. It's just being out there. One thing that I always keep telling the people in my mentorship mm-hmm. is that when the head of department or the supervisor that, that is looking at your portfolio and who is responsible of hiring you or not, when they see a piece and then they say that, ah, I've seen this before, then it's like 80% you're going to get the job. Because the reason that they saw this picture before is that it is so good that it was like on pics on art station or people keep sharing it or like it got like a lot of likes that it got in the way of uh, his view or uh, when he was like streaming something. So uh, yeah, it's very, very important to be out there. I know a lot of people working in the, especially in the film industry who are really good artists, but they don't share their work. They don't do a lot of personal work. Yeah, And then nobody knows anything about them. And then when they get laid off, like what's happening now at Blizzard, exactly. and they try to get another job, it's going to be very difficult for them. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's exactly you, what was on my mind there. Yeah. While if you have your work out there and people know your work and they have, see, they have seen your work before and they know that you can, like it's always nice if a company says that this person is working for us and people like his work, you know? That's always something nice for the companies that you are working for. So there is a lot of good sides to it. That's why I started doing it like a, a year ago, and I'm sticking to it. How do you deal with the inner critic? It is very difficult. Sometimes I feel like really happy about something that I'm, uh, I'm working on. And then like two weeks later or one month later, I feel like really bad about it. Like I start to see the horrible things that I have done, the mistakes. Yeah. And even when people receive it uh, as a good thing and they keep like uh, saying good stuff about it, I will still see the the mistakes that I've done. And Mm -hmm. the only thing that makes me feel better is that I start a new project right after. And then I keep in mind that I I will never make this mistake again. So yeah, I would say that I'm a little bit difficult on myself, but I think everybody should be. But you go on and you move to the next project. Yeah. There was this amazing book that I uh, read. It, it's called The War of Arts. Yep. Uh, yes, exactly. And this book is amazing. That's like, for example, if anyone who needs motivation, they just need to read this book. You can just read it in like a couple of hours. It's a small book. And one of the parts in this book that really motivated me when he was like telling one of his uh, writer friends that I finished, finally, I finished writing the novel that I've been writing for a couple of years or something like that. And then his friend just looked at him and told him, good, then start the next one. And uh, that's one of the things that's really, really important and makes you feel good. And it makes you feel like you're productive is that once you finish a project, you just don't wait and see like how successful it will be. No, just ignore it and start a new one. And yeah, I've been doing that. If I'm making a project and then it didn't receive like uh, good reviews or people didn't feel like it's uh, successful enough, I will mm-hmm. not feel bad about it because I'm already working on something else. And also if the opposite happened, if people find that thing like really good and successful and they started like sharing it or giving it likes, I will not also be looking at that because I will be working on something else. So I'm going to be more productive. So that's why I just that same day or the next day I start working on another project. Love it. That's a great thing to be reminded of. Just keep yeah. moving forward. So I want to remind you guys to head over to Kabusi's art station and check out his Patreon. You can get a lot of great information there. I'm a member. 
It's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I've loved what you've been doing with the uh, X-Gen. You cover that Thank actually you. very, very well. Thank I'm you. really, really happy with that. And uh, Kabisi, man, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. You know, I know you don't have a lot of it because you've got, you, you're producing crazy work constantly. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And I also want to thank you very much, uh, Dan, for giving me this uh, chance to talk to one of my uh, art heroes. And uh, like I told you when we were talking before, like you are one of the people that teach me how to work in ZBrush. So ah, I will always awesome. uh, be in debt to you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I take uh, Bitcoin. You can yeah, just <laughs> donate there. I'll give you a link after this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend. I look forward to uh, you know interacting more and more now and, and following more of your stuff. And again, you know, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.